trees form the backdrop of our life, even here in the city. You know, they're just that green presence. Uh, many of our streets have trees lining them, don't they? And our parks and, you know, in, in our gardens, there are trees that are just there in the background. About a couple of years ago, I was walking along and I noticed a big oak tree near where I live. It's tall, it's broad, uh, yeah, loads of leaves. It looks healthy, but then I noticed that there was ivy growing all the way up the trunk, right to the top. And I didn't think that looked good. And I felt God say to me, yeah, that tree looks strong, but that ivy is a potential threat. And I felt God say to me, beware of the distractions and the busyness that could choke your spiritual life. Stay close to me. Give attention to me and my life. And now when I walk past the tree, I'm reminded of that. And it challenges me again to pray and worship and stay close to God. And there's trees like that in the Bible, trees that have a meaning, trees where God has revealed something of himself. There are plenty of other trees that are just there in the background of the Bible. But today I'm going to look at three passages where trees are right there, central to what God is revealing about himself. And the first one comes in the Garden of Eden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree was to have a massive effect on Adam and Eve and actually then for the whole of humanity. So let me read from Genesis chapter 2 and set the scene for you. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east and there he put the man whom he had formed and out of the ground, the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden and there it divided and became four rivers. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man saying, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. What an amazing place that garden must have been. I mean, yeah, even in now, in holiday adverts, you know, they talk about Garden of Eden and, you know, it's a symbol of, of beauty and abundance. And yet right in the middle, there's this tree that holds the power, holds the potential of good and evil. And we know what happens next, don't we? Eve and Adam take of that tree. They disregard the warnings that God had given them. They desire the fruit and they grab it. They want it for themselves. There's that selfishness, that independence, that yeah, rebellion against God that happens. 
and brokenness and sin and guilt and death cascades down, not just to Adam and Eve, but to the whole of humanity. Many of us know, if we actually look at our own lives, that we can't just blame Adam and Eve for the stuff that goes wrong in our lives. We ourselves, in our own worlds, in our own little gardens, we sometimes grab at things, we desire things, we rebel against God, we want to be independent. And so sin and brokenness comes into our lives too. That tree, that knowledge of good and evil continues to have a massive effect in each one of our lives. But most of the trees in the Bible don't have quite that dramatic effect. They're just more in the background. They're more like scenery. They would have been a place where you sheltered from the sun or you met with people, you rested. And we see that quite often in the Bible. We also see that in those moments, sometimes God reveals himself. So you get the angels coming to meet Abraham in Genesis under the oaks of Mamre. And Gideon, who is fearful and uh, facing invading forces, he gets wisdom and courage under the tree of Ophrah. You get Elijah, who was demoralised after his battles with the prophets of Baal. And an angel comes to him by a juniper tree and refreshes him and feeds him and builds him up again. God meets with people around trees. And in the New Testament, Jesus reveals something of himself. And there's trees in the background. Think of Nathaniel, who Jesus saw under a fig tree and draws to himself. Or Zacchaeus, remember him? He climbed up a sycamore tree to, to see over the crowds. He, he didn't want to be seen himself, but Jesus sees him and calls him, and his life in that moment is turned upside down. He's, his life is transformed as he repents and believes in Jesus. So trees get threaded through the story of the Bible, often where God is revealing himself to people. And in Ezekiel 47, there's just a wonderful vision that the prophet has of a, of a series of trees, actually. He's seeing uh, the coming kingdom, the, uh, the new temple, uh, the temple being restored and God's glory coming back. Remember, the people are in exile and everything has gone wrong and he has this glorious vision and there's water flowing uh, from the temple and that water is bringing life even to the Dead Sea and around it on either bank are trees that have leaves which bring healing. And John in Revelation, he later picks up this amazing vision of Ezekiel. And, and we're going to talk about that in the minute. But there's one tree that is central to the Bible that I want us 
to look at today. It's the tree that Jesus died on. It's the cross. Interestingly, several of the New Testament writers talk about the cross just as a tree. In fact, there's a a whole story where uh, Peter and the other disciples, it's after the resurrection, they're preaching about Jesus and the authorities are trying to silence them, stop them telling the good news about the life that is there in Jesus Christ. And they're thrown into prison. They, are, they, they manage, you know, by the Holy Spirit to, be, to escape prison. And then they're out on the streets preaching again and the authorities challenge them. And Peter says this to the authorities when they say, you must be quiet, don't talk about this. And he says this, we must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and saviour to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. Now, in the past, when I've read that passage and passages like it, I've been a bit puzzled. I mean, why do they talk about Jesus being hanging on a tree? I mean, why don't they talk about the cross? Isn't there a perfectly good, you know, Greek word for cross? And yes, there is. So why are they choosing to use the word tree? I mean, it's interesting that actually in Acts, the cross, the word cross, is not mentioned. It's either talking about Jesus was crucified or he hung on a tree. And so I'm wondering, why is that? And, you know, when you have um, questions about a passage, sometimes it's really helpful to look it up in different versions. You can do that so easily these days online with apps like YouVersion. And what happens in this passage in some of the versions is they translate the word tree into the word cross because they know that's what the authors actually are referring to. But by doing that, they miss out on some of the extra layers of truth that the the Bible writers are trying to bring to us. Because for us, when we see the word cross, we imagine the brutal form of execution that the Romans used to basically keep everybody under control in their territories. But in the New Testament, they're writing to Jewish Christians and they're wanting to add in the the Jewish history, the Jewish link that is in Deuteronomy that talks about people who are hung on a tree being cursed by God, being outside, being rejected. There's a a scandal, there's a shock around using that phrase, hung on a tree. So they're saying that Jesus, because he died on a, a wooden cross, he also died under a curse. Yes, what was happening on that tree was bigger and deeper 
than just a man facing a Roman form of execution. And Paul unpacks this a bit in Galatians chapter 3. Let me read uh, this to you. It's Galatians 3 verse 1. He says this, O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. So he's, he's saying, you know, he definitely died on a cross. But then in verse 13, he says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanging on a tree. That's a quote from Deuteronomy 21. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, which is us, so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. Jesus took upon himself that curse, that punishment we deserved for our sin, our brokenness, our grabbing of stuff for ourselves. He took the guilt so that if we put our faith in Jesus, we can know the blessing of God that was destined right from the garden through Abraham to all the people of God. We can know forgiveness and freedom from sin if we repent and believe in him. That was the message that Peter and the disciples were so determined to get out on the streets. And it didn't matter what it took, they weren't going to be silenced because it was a message of hope and life and grace. And using that word tree for the cross would have shocked people. It, would, it had layers of meaning because it brought in not just the Roman execution, but the idea of Jesus being cursed. I think the thing for us is that we're no longer shocked by the idea of the cross and of the tree. But, you know, over the last few months, the last 18 months, I've noticed that there's a word that's been used to describe brutal deaths, deaths that have happened in public, that have happened unjustly and often with a racial undertone. And that's the word lynching. It's an ugly, shocking word. It brings to mind brutality. And really, that's the kind of word that the writers are using here when they talk about Jesus hanging on a tree. And in fact, a, a black theologian, James Cone, about 10 years ago, wrote a book called The Lynching Tree, where he, he likened what happened to Jesus to the dreadful lynchings that happened in the south of America. Because Jesus was scapegoated, he was falsely accused, he was surrounded by a mob who cried out, crucify. He was beaten and humiliated and hung naked on a tree. And he did it for us. He did it to take away our guilt, our sin. He did it to give us life. 
He was crucified under Roman judgment, but cursed under the Jewish tradition. He took the punishment for all humanity, Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, male and female, black and white. We are all offered the chance of forgiveness because he died on the tree for us. The curse was fully satisfied in his body on that day. And God reveals himself there in Jesus on the cross. And Jesus came to solve the problem that had started in the Garden of Eden, to bring us back into relationship with God. And out of his death comes a life, amazing life, out of evil actions comes good. Sometimes that happens in life. Yeah, several years ago, I heard a true story of something that happened during the Second World War. A ship was in an Italian harbour, the harbour of Barry, and the harbour was bombed uh, by the Nazis. And that ship was blown up. And unbeknown to everybody on the ship and around the area, that ship carried mustard gas. It was carrying a secret supply of this chemical weapon, which had been used to terrible effect in the First World War to poison and kill people. And it, the Allies had it there as a reserve in case they needed it. And so a massive mustard cloud uh, erupted and hundreds and hundreds of people were affected and, and many died. But one naval doctor who was there in that port somehow realized this must be mustard gas. So he, he treated the people accordingly, although none of the authorities would, you know, agree that it was mustard gas. And so he saved many lives, which was great. And research was done and the people who were affected were followed up and they found a curious thing that people who had survived, their blood cells, some of their blood cells were, were changed and were affected in a positive way. And so some people started to continue to research what happened on that day and the chemicals involved. And after about 20 years, out of that disaster, the first chemotherapy drug was created. It was derived from mustard gas. I mean, out of a terrible situation, something that could bring life was created. How do I know that story? Well, when my husband was treated for cancer several years ago and he started his chemo, the drug he used was derived from mustard gas. The doctor kind of told us that. I think he thought it, he, we would find it reassuring, but I can assure you no one wants to go to, through chemo, but especially if you know that the, the substance derives from a, a chemical weapon. But actually, we are so thankful for that drug because it brought healing and remission and life to William. And you know, the tree 
the tree that Jesus died on was the turning point in history and from there flows life, spiritual life. And John pictures that in the book of Revelation. There, there's a tree right at the centre of the city. There's a city, but it's kind of a garden city. And there's a wonderful river that has life and flows from the throne. And around it, there is a tree that has healing leaves. Let me read to you this picture that is echoes Ezekiel 47. So let's look at Revelation 22. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruits, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it and his servants will worship him. They will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads and night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun for the Lord God will be their light and they will reign forever and ever. What an amazing picture of the new kingdom, of the new heaven and earth, of God and the lamb who was sacrificed on the tree there at the centre and then the river and the tree of life. Andrew, in his book, The God of All Things, describes this tree. He says this, the tree that was designed to dehumanise and bring death now makes us more alive than we ever dreamed and more fully human than we ever hoped. In all the world, there is one tree and one tree only, whose fruit is bountiful enough to feed the world and whose leaves are sufficient to heal the nations. John has a tree in mind and it's one that he encountered himself, staring at it for six terrible hours, the tree of Calvary. Calvary, it's an old fashioned word for the tree that Jesus died on, the cross. And I remember when I was a teenager, I was about 13, 14, I read a little book, it was called The Calvary Road. And it, it described what Jesus did for us on the cross. And it talked about the response we need to make, that actually we need to bow our knee before the cross. We need to admit our weakness, our grabbing for power and control and independence and self-fulfillment and give that up, repent, believe on him and make him Lord. And you know, the moment I did that, that changed my life for the better, changed my life from the inside out. And today, you can make that choice to come to Calvary and put your trust in Jesus who died for you. For those of us 
who've done that, who are believers, it's good to remember what he's done for us and be thankful and remember again that he took the curse on himself that we might be free and that through him we have life and healing and a hope forever. If you're not a believer here today, maybe you're seeking, maybe you're just in the room wondering what it all means and what the cross means, I would encourage you to ask questions, to delve into it. You know, sign up for Alpha. Find out why did Jesus die? What has that got to do with me? But maybe some of you listening today, you're, you're ready to respond and say, yeah, I, I want to respond to the Jesus who died for me. I want to put my trust in the man who took my curse that I might be forgiven and know life everlasting. In a minute, we're going to sing and you will have an opportunity to respond to, the, to Jesus and all he has done for you. Let's just pray. Lord, I just ask that as we consider Jesus and all he has done for us, that each one of us will be reminded of your grace, your love, all that you did for us. And I pray, Lord God, the Holy Spirit will stir us to respond with gratefulness and thanks and also to make you Lord of our life, to say, I believe I will follow you because you are worthy. Amen.